I'm Christy Hurt, the founder of The CoLab, which is a member-led, inclusive global networking community for fashion, beauty, wellness, retail, and consumer luxury professionals. I'm glad you're back for season two, where we have more career stories. Every week, two members interview each other, so you'll get to hear two different stories. I hope you'll learn from these stories, listen to them, share them, and join us and tell your own story. Hi, everyone. This is Sarah Sakanaka. Today, I'm here to interview Darcy Jensen. Darcy is currently the founder and creative director at Gilded Goods, a sustainable design brand and community of makers and founder of Gilded Co., a creative design brand strategy consultancy. Hey, Darcy, how are you doing today? Hi, Sarah. I'm great. Thank you. Darcy, I'm so excited to talk to you today. Thank you so much for being here with me. Of course, of course. You've Um, had quite a remarkable career. Um, (laughs) Before you founded Gilded Goods, I would love to go back to the beginning. Please share with us uh, where you grew up. (laughs) Sure. Um, So I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska. I'd love to throw that out because it's always kind of a shock to people. I don't know why, but I always joke too that, you know, growing up in Omaha in the eighties was like growing up anywhere else in the forties. Um, and I mentioned that because I think there's a lot of influences, especially you'll see where I am today and how those influences are still with me. But, um, you know, I grew up with older parents and older siblings and older grandparents. I was kind of the um, last minute addition to the family. And anyway, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents who were, Rewear, repair, recycle generation. And my grandmother taught me to embroider when I was five. My older sister um, taught me how to sew when I was seven. I made my first garment, a little Terry romper, red, yellow, and blue strawberries, just in case you were wondering. Anyway, those were, um, you know, some of the the foundations of of my creativity and and what I what I love to do throughout my life. Anyway, by the time I was 12, I really came to this conclusion that I wanted to live in New York City and I wanted to work in fashion. And, you know, I didn't know anyone working in fashion. I don't even think I knew any fashionable people, to be honest with you. (laughs) And I certainly didn't know anyone who lived in New York, let alone anyone who'd ever even been to New York. So this dream, I, I truly think it came from this one important Uh, pinnacle moment in my youth. I remember the day that MTV launched and I went from this like, you know, small town kind of normal childhood with all these older influences to, oh my God, look at that big hair and those flashing lights and, you know, Madonna and all the crazy fashions. And I was just hooked. It was, it was, um, this is something I, I, I became obsessed with. And, you know, there were not a lot of great fashion resources in Omaha back then. And I found really a love of vintage clothing, vintage fabrics. I did a lot of thrifting, a lot of antique shopping, and a lot of self-taught sewing back in my high school years. Wait, what was the the vintage and the thrift store scene yeah. in Omaha, Nebraska like? Well, yeah, exactly. I guess it wasn't really a popular thing. Like uh, most of my friends were not into it. I only knew like maybe a handful of friends. So I actually feel kind of not embarrassed, but like kind of weird doing it because not you know, I went to prep school, a girls prep school and you know, we wore uniforms, so that alleviated a lot of fashion pre- pressure. But I really 
was out doing all this on my own. And, um, I, I just, I couldn't help myself. I was so passionate about it. And there was a lot of great finds because no one else was really doing it or a very small percentage of people um, were That's doing it. So cool. So, so aside from vintage and thrift stores, what other resources did you have for fashion? Right. So not a lot. Um, there was one store in the cool part of town that carried details magazine, which I don't even think they exist anymore, but they were staple bound. I mean, a magazine staple bound, imagine that. And there were all these ads for nightclubs, like the China club and, and all these nightclubs in New York city. So I used to read about that and was super inspired. And then I don't know how it happened, but I subscribed to women's wear daily. I don't even know how I found out about it. I didn't know what a trade paper was and I didn't even know what, what the articles were about, you know? But I loved the large format and I love the full page ads. I used to plaster my bedroom with all these like ads for, you know, Prada and there was Paloma Picasso jewelry. And I don't know, it was really, um, it's kind of (laughs) crazy. Okay. So then college, what what was that? Right. So college became a little complicated for me. You know, I studied art. Um, a lot of, took a lot of art classes, journalism classes and photography classes in high school. So, you know, really thinking about realistically, could I study fashion? I wasn't really sure about that. I just didn't have a clear path in front of me. So I, I was sort of considering like going into fashion through journalism and there's some really good journalism programs in the Midwest. I think it's because of our flat standard English American style of speaking, but um, that's a true fact. But anyway, um, also complicated by that, my parents really didn't understand that I wanted to go away to school. You know, I had this very idyllic idea of what a college campus looked like, a very Ivy League looking campus, something co-ed, something huge that I could just get lost in. And that wasn't really available locally. So my parents were basically like, well, if you want to leave home, you're on your own. So at 17, without having, you know, saved up money to move away, I I kind of floundered a little bit uh, initially, but I ended up at the University of Kansas. I I didn't really have, I don't want to say the confidence, but I didn't really have the wherewithal or the foresight to think that I could actually pick up and move to New York City and go to a fashion school. I also didn't really have the funds because I was self-funded at this point. So I went to the University of Kansas, which is that absolute beautiful, idyllic campus that, that you would imagine. And I was considering journalism. I think I actually declared journalism, but I ended up taking a class in the fiber art department and that, you know, kind of wrote itself, right? History started there. I, I had, I fell in love and I, um, it, 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 it's interesting at the time that I was there, the, the department was led by this woman, Cynthia Shira, who is a world renowned weaver. She also went to RISD in the 1950s with Klaus Oldenburg and her and Klaus and their contemporaries are really the artists who established fiber art as a viable art form and really brought it to, to the table, the art world. So I was fortunate that I landed in a place that was one of the best fiber programs in the country. And I had really incredible professors. Um, and I had a great experience, but you know, and I, I even toyed with, with pursuing fine art as my career. Um, but 
jumping forward around my junior year, my really good friend from home had moved to New York, was already pursuing a career in fashion. And he said to me, you know, Darcy, you really need to pursue your dreams. This is, this is perfect for you. I think you would love it here. So a really critical piece of advice at that time in my career was, and this is really specific to that time. Um, if you want to work in fashion, you have to live in New York. And if you want to get a job in New York, you have to be in New York. You can't mail in your resume. You can't dial it in. You have to be here for sure. And you know, that's not really true anymore. It's not the advice I would give a young person today, but it was true then. So, you know, again, paying through my own way through school, I took a semester off. I saved up, I think maybe $2,000 at best. And I just got on a plane and landed in New York without any prospects of a job or an internship or anything. But I was staying with this really generous friend of mine. And, you know, through two other friends, I got the phone number for a woman working at Ralph Lauren. And, you know, the first time I got her number, I thought to myself, this is not a brand for me. I, I get preppy. I went to prep school, but it's not my aesthetic. And and I don't know, what would they want from me? I was very hesitant. And then later I got the same reference from a different friend. And I thought, okay, this is, I got to make this call. And really, Sarah, that's the call that, that set the trajectory for the rest of my career. That one phone call that I almost didn't make got me an internship at Ralph Lauren. And, and as we talk about my career, you'll see how pivotal that was for me. And I, I think my takeaway from that is just make the call, make wow. the call to anyone out there, like hemming and hawing, don't just make the call. So, um, wow. It's, it's so exciting to sort of like start your career at such a notable brand at Ralph Lauren. Um, yeah, I would love to hear more about that. Yeah. Well, even as an intern, I just, I met the most incredible people, first of all. Second of all, I was hired to work in the scarf department and I ended up designing some scarves that actually went into production. And I, I also studied metalsmith and uh, jewelry making in, in college for four years. And I also worked in jewelry store all through high school and part of college. So I had a metalsmithing background and, um, although my dream was to pursue fiber, the jewelry department found out and they basically roped me into like a double internship. So I would take home jewelry projects. I was hand making jewelry, these beaded necklaces for them at night. I'd come back in the day, work on my scarves. And, um, the exciting thing though, all the necklaces I made actually went down the runway that fall. So, you know, as an intern, it was really a fruitful and productive, uh, short period of time. It was really incredible. Um, that's, that's amazing. And then after your wonderful experience at Ralph Lauren, what happened next? Right. So I, I must've been super fortunate. I finished up school and I decided I, I had the bug. I had to go back to New York. I sort of maybe had a place to live again. I think I had at best $2,000. You know, I actually, brought a suitcase and my sewing machine and $2,000 and slept on a friend's couch and just started like hitting the pavement. And really coincidentally, there was, uh, Ralph Lauren had signed a new licensee right around that time and they were looking for a jewelry designer. So the same people I worked for as an intern hired me. So my first month in New York, I was hired on as a designer at Ralph Lauren for jewelry. I, I also designed hats and hardware and other products, but I mean, 
like how fortunate to come out of Kansas, you know, uh, Darcy from Kansas. I never hear the end of that. Um, and I was working, you know, with, with all the couture designers. I was, you know, backstage at all the shows and, and designing product for runway, designing product for licensees, working with all the stylists. It was a really, um, really great, um, wonderful way to start a career. And I made great friends. I'm still friends with so many of the people I started with back then. Yeah, it's it's really lovely to be able to um, make so many great um, lifelong friends um, um, with with your um, with your job. And right. after Ralph Lauren, um, yeah. where did you go next? Yeah, so I was wooed away by the ever charming and handsome Randolph Duke. You know, I sometimes wonder if I if I left too soon, but Randolph was just so charming and lovely, and he was he had been. Um, picked to relaunch Halston, the first relaunch. And it was an incredible opportunity and it was more money and it was more responsibility and maybe a little too much. I don't know. It was a bit crazy. I helped him design and source all the accessories for their um, runway. I even handmade quite a few things for him. But I was also responsible for for managing all the licensees. And when I started, there were seven. And seven months later, when I left, there were 24. So not even really a healthy, um, you know, working with Randolph was one thing. It was wonderful. But the whole licensing thing was just, to me, it was out of control. And it wasn't managed um, in a way that I could keep up with it. I was, you know, still pretty green. Um, And I you know, I was being pursued by another company and it, it kind of came right in the nick of time, to be honest with you. Mm. Um, and it, it, it was interesting. I, I had gotten a call from a recruiter from Liz Claiborne wanting a jewelry designer. And I, you know, I'd been working on runway shows and on luxury product. And I just thought, you know, I don't know if this is the way I want to go, the career path I want to take. I'm not really sure this is the kind of brand that I, that I is right for my next move. So they pursued me for about three months and, you know, things were just getting really nuts, really nuts at Halston. Um, and I remember crying like every night. <laughs> I remember running into a friend from Ralph Lauren on the street and I just started crying. So when Liz Claiborne called again, they, they had the head of design for jewelry call me and explain to me exactly what the role was and how they were growing the business and how it was really independent from the rest of the brand and how she had a vision and why she wanted to work with me and really taking the time to think about that and hearing the full story. I, and, and really thinking about what I wanted to do regardless of the name of the brand, it was actually the right job. It was a great experience. Um, but yet it was a little bit of another frying pan. <laughs> um, we worked till eight, nine, ten o'clock every night. We, I don't think I had a day off for the first six months that I worked there. I would take work home on the weekends. Um, but it was my first travel experience and that was incredibly important, you know, as a designer to be able to go to a factory and sit beside a model maker or see how assembly lines are, you know, producing goods. It's really invaluable. And I did a lot of travel, but it was just, it was just burnout. It was really, it was just, I had really, I was getting burnout. Um, I, I think I learned as much as I would have in another company in five years as I did at a year and a half at, at Liz Claiborne. Yeah. So after being burnt out, I mean, we've all been there right at some point in our career. And I know at times it can be quite um, emotional 
Um, so how, how was that, you know, transition from, from coming out of a place like that and then right. on to your, to your next role? So my like savior, one of my most important mentors and friends of my whole career, the woman that I, that brought me into jewelry design as an intern, um, and then, uh, then hired me at Ralph Lauren called me, um, out of the blue from, during this time I was feeling immense burnout and she had gone from, um, Ralph Lauren to start up old Navy. And it was probably a few years in, but still in the early stages of old Navy, they still didn't have fully formed departments. So she had asked me to come on and head up and start up the, um, or take over, I guess the kids and baby accessory business. And I would have followed her anywhere. She's a really incredible human being and, and, and mentor and boss and friend. So I, I went to old Navy and that was my first long-term job. I was there almost eight years. And in that time, I just had such incredible corporate growth. Like, first of all, the company was growing so fast that we were all able to grow so quickly with it. And it was a great, great training ground for business and strategy. Um, it was a great training ground for product development, concept development. We traveled extensively for, um, for inspiration, but also for product development. So it was really a very hands-on experience and a really time of growth and development. You know, another piece of advice, when she hired me, she said to me, treat this like you own this business. Like this is your own company and, and that's how you'll succeed. And I did. And I, I lived and breathed that, you know, the, the, the opportunities. And I went from, you know, I took on new departments. I took on kids shoes and then I took on the supply department. And then eventually I moved into women's accessories all along going from designer to design director, and then being more in a leadership role and in a strategic planning and conceptual designing role versus a hands-on designing role. So that was a real transition in my career going from designer to design leader and manager of, of teams. Um, yeah, I, I think it's um, really wonderful to have that pivotal moment to sort of experience that, that growth from creative design to all of us that are now design manager and leader. Um, so you've, you've sort of like moved on and, and you've grown. Um, I'm curious now, what, what was that like? And also quickly after, you know, what, what happened next? Right. So shifting from designer to design, like a leader or a manager is, um, was actually is excellent for me. It was great for me. I found that I really enjoyed the leadership aspect of design. To me, it was all about um, creative conceptualizing brands and vision for product and, and collections and, and incorporating merchandising and, and visual merchandising. It was about a bigger picture. It was about strategically planning out, um, a business. And I found that to be like that creative problem solving as rewarding as designing product. Um, I also, I guess that's the mother in me. Like I really enjoy managing and training and growing teams and leading them. Um, as difficult as that can be at times, I really, I really embraced it. I really loved being in that, that hands off of design role. Um, I know that's not for everyone, but it really, it really was good for me. Um, and then you asked me what happened next. So, yeah. um, old Navy, uh, at one point, you know, I think 
everyone probably knows they moved their design office to San Francisco. Uh, I was newly engaged. I wasn't ready to take a move. I really wanted to be in New York City. And I I honestly was just going to take some time off preparing for my wedding when I just out of the blue, I got this phone call and it was from a recruiter I'd never heard of. And she said, Hey, are you the director of design for women's accessories at Old Navy? And I said, yes. And she goes, great. I have someone who wants to meet you. Her name is Aaron Lauder. And I just thought, well, why in the world does Aaron Lauder want to meet me? I know that call. Yeah. So crazy. I even think I was standing in a gap store at the time, like not even kidding you. I was like shopping. So I just to quickly go through this. Um, Aaron wanted to bring the gift with purchase, the GWP program in house for design. So most beauty brands work with vendors and their marketing team picks the products that are, um, assigned aligned with products to sell on the floor. Right. So the GWP is really the motivator and it's such a motivator that even like I learned that like up to 65% of sales are driven by what that GWP is. And Erin just felt that they could be designed more beautifully. And she was actually a big fan of old Navy. And she said, you know, we can do this in house and make it more fashion point of view, not just like from picked by a marketing team, not that the marketing team wasn't good, but she just felt there was a need for a fashion point of view. So Um, The job also included designing all of the packaging for beauty GWPs. So every lipstick, every beauty product, every skincare product, every fragrance had a secondary version of packaging that was for gift with purchase. So it was learning everything from e-flute cartons to um, foil stamping on lip pencils to the bullet shape of a lipstick. It was really fascinating and it was really teetering more on branding and marketing and packaging. So that was a great way to expand my career. I also ended up doing a lot of random little projects because of my background. I designed a lot of jewelry for the beauty advisors. Um, the 10,000 global beauty advisors would get annual gifts and incentives, and it was often jewelry. So that was fun. But the best, the best part of Estee Lauder was helping Aaron do the research and then doing some specialty product design and then setting up a showroom to launch her eponymous line. So being there on the, in the initial phases of Aaron was really exciting. And you know, the, the winds of change came and I knew she was heading off to do her own brand. So I felt like it was also, I was getting a little restless and and thinking it was time for something new at that point. Um, and that's how I ended up with sports Uh, you're going to laugh, but once again, a recruiter (laughs) called me and she said, I want you to interview for this job at the sports And, um, you know, I have to say I was a little intimidated by the role because I thought of them as such a huge company and it was a huge leadership role. And, you know, I met the team, I met them and there was a little bit of transition in the beginning because I was originally interviewing for creative director and, uh, another VP had resigned at the same time. So, Uh, just to make it quick, they hired two of us and I took on creative services, but they built the rest of the role around my skills, which, which at the time I felt a little jilted, but I realized in retrospect, it was so incredible to have someone have so much belief in me and to build a job around my skills. Um, you know, which included business development, brand development. And then I took on merchandising, which was really, um, a great, great next step in my career. Um, 
that was a time around the recession. So, you know, belts got tightened and I ended up actually taking on the creative director role a year later, which then I stayed in that role for the next 10 years. Um, and I had, um, a lot of different creative departments under me. I had seven different departments at one point, including marketing, PR, store, store design, um, visual merchandising, creative services, you name it. And that was a, that was really great. Although it was a little, a little crazy at times because we were really lean staff. Um, but I loved the whole big picture role and, and having my hand in all different aspects. Um, yeah, when I think of the sports back, the sports sack, it's such an iconic American handbag, luggage and travel accessory company, and I immediately think about all the wonderful collaborations. Oh yeah, that come from the sports sack. So I would love to hear, um, you know, what was that experience and right. who were some of you know the collaborators that you partnered up with? So I, you know, talking about my career, it makes me a little like I did so many things I love doing, but I will say collaborations are really like the culmination of everything I love to do because every collaboration was a new brand. So every quarter we had, truthfully, we had probably two, two collaborations every quarter and sometimes even more because we did regional and local regional and global. And I would say I, I executed at least, at least 50, I wow. 50 collaborations in my time. Um, and, I loved it. It was, it was so great. It was a great way to reinvent and refresh your own creative, um, inspirations because you're drawing from another brand and you're really bringing the two brands together, but it was creating a new brand every time because every brand had its own new logo. It had its own new packaging. It had its own new product concept and, and collaborating. Let us move outside of just our basic nylon. We could bring in other elements. It also led to packaging design, shoppers, pop-up shop design, marketing campaigns, advertising, photo shoots. It was the whole gamut. It was soup to nuts beginning to end a new brand every time. And because we were so large and had such a diverse customer base, we were really able to work with all different kinds of collaborators. Anything from, you know, like luxury designers, like, um, you know, Jason Wu, international designers like Paul and Joe, Sumori Shisato. I worked with Pat McGrath when she was at CoverGirl. Like, what an incredible woman. Um, Benefit Cosmetics. We worked with specialty stores like Beams in Japan, which was such a dream for me. Also, Colette in Paris worked with, with Sarah so many, so many times. Just loved working with these specialty stores. Um, and street artists, big passion of mine. We worked with Curtis Kulig, Jeremyville, to name a few. And then of course the mass, the mass market, I hate to call it mass, but it, you know, the Disney's, the peanuts, the Hershey's, they were all fun at, at every level. Um, and, and I love working with other people and collaborating and brainstorming and it's so much fun. Yeah. You worked with some really remarkable collaborators. Um, after all these, wonderful and unique experiences. Right. Um, why, why did you leave? Well, you know, I, this is a tough one. I was really, I loved my job, but you know, there was some internal situations. We had rotational management. We had generalist counterparts in Japan. We were purchased by a Japanese holding company and it was, it was challenging. And it's not that I mind a challenge, but it was a little lather, rinse, repeat and without resolution. And there was no long-term strategy planning. There was no long-term, um, brand building goals and, um, even more so than that, I'll be really, this is digging a little deep and personal. I was really starting to question my role in fashion and, and fashion's role in the world. And I was really, um, 
I was really considering consumerism and its effect on the planet. So burnout and then this this whole idea of what are we making? What are we producing? More nylon bags. Um, and then just, just quickly to touch upon like probably the pinnacle of my career to that point, I I learned that a six-year wish and and desire to work with Elber Albaz came true. So I, even though I'm burnout and I'm questioning this, I'm like, this is going to be my swan song. This is it. This is my this is my big hurrah. So I spent, I held on. I spent a year working with Elber, going back and forth to Paris. I mean, like. I, what better dream is there as a fashion designer, right? Like so incredible. We had a huge launch event. We designed pop-up shops. We designed, I mean, it was just really, and I, he, I can't say enough about what an incredible human being he is truly genuine and what a great experience. But like, I knew that was my kind of my moment to like suck it all in and then what's next. So, um, with that, I, I left, I jumped ship you know, I stayed on a little longer and I finally, my daughter was getting to a place where she needed help at home with her homework. Things were getting really stressful at school. And I just, I, I was like, how can I top Elbear and how can I, you know, what am I going to do next? So I jumped ship without really a plan other than I wanted to do some consulting. So I did, I enjoyed it. It was a little scary. And I was working for a company that we were negotiating a full-time role for me that was supposed to, to be finalized last March. So yeah, last March, <laughs> last March. And then that's where COVID started. Yeah. Yeah. So that opportunity came to an end. Um, and I just, I, I have to say, um, you know, my husband and I, my daughter, we, we left the city to, um, to ride out COVID in our upstate home. We're just outside of Rhinebeck here. It's really lovely. And I'd always wanted to spend more time here. So I just took a deep breath and I said, you know, there's not a lot I can do. It's out of my control. We have this really weird world that we're living in. And I just decided to put aside my fears. I honestly, I don't know how, how I, I, I did it, but I put aside my fears and I just started kind of living in the moment. I, I overtook our community garden, which had been neglected for a while. It's a 950 square foot garden. And I spent a lot of time there and I just was thinking like, where, where do I want to be in five years? Like, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about today. Just where do I want to be in five years? And what can I start doing now to plant the seeds for, oh God, no pun intended um, for that. And, um, and that's right around the time that, you know, the collabs, Christy started the collab and I joined and that's right around the time that, you know, Sarah, I saw your profile. I, I love that you had this experience with Japanese textiles, which was an interest of mine. And I know I reached out to you and I, we started talking and, you know, the, the collab was a really interesting source of inspiration, but really I found inspiration in this garden and I decided to, um, I wanted to reflect some sort of community sense of community and, and positivity in my neighborhood. So I took this fabric, I made strips and I started weaving the word hope into the fence of the garden, like a giant sign out in this field that all my neighbors could see. And it felt good to like, even though I was alone, I was putting out this message to others to share. And, and it got me thinking about my time in college as a fiber arts student and how much I had missed it and how much I put it on hold. And I decided to call my college professor. Um, so I called, I texted her and she's like, oh, I'm in the garden. I'll call you back. And I was like, wait, you're in the garden. I'm in the garden. <laughs> 
<laughs> but it turned out that she was actually growing dye plants to implement a natural dye program at the university. And we had a long conversation and I was just you know, we were sort of brainstorming, like, what's next for you, Darcy? Like, what are the things you want to do? Like, the culmination of all your experiences, your passions, your, you know, what would you like to do? And, and I was also talking to you, Sarah, and we just kind of, I don't know, it was a lot of talk, I wasn't doing much. But um, yeah, I remember that conversation, <laughs> you know, we met through the collab, and I was just so enamored and impressed with your, mm-hmm. with your diverse career and your background. Um, and we were just talking about what our next steps were. And I, yeah. and I distinctly remember how you mentioned that you just really love spending time in your garden right. and how you were, you know, reminiscing about your love of fiber arts. And there was a point in the conversation where you started talking about, you know, your grandmother and how that, you know, you had linens from your grandmother that right. you and how you wanted to do something with it. And that essentially was the inspiration for Gilded Goods. So I'd love to, you know, just as we wrap up here, I'd love to sort of hear more about Gilded Goods. Um, Yeah, so I... I wasn't, I wasn't setting out to start a brand. I wasn't setting out to do a website. I wasn't setting out to, to be a sustainability expert by any means, but I just was thinking about what this could be. And the name came to me, it was five 30 in the morning, the eve of my birthday at the end of September. And I just, it came to me. So I got up, I sat down, I Googled how to design a logo. I'm not a graphic designer and I designed this logo. And then I decided, Oh, I'm going to text my friend, Christy hurt. And I'm going to show her this logo and get her opinion. So literally within an hour, Christy had posted on the collab, on the Instagram, on her personal Instagram, collab member Darcy Jensen launches Gilded Goods. <laughs> I'm like, Christy, oh my God, what have you done? So thank you. Thank you, Christy, for that. But um, I, I did, it did put a massive fire under my seat. And I realized that I had an opportunity to also give back to my daughter's school by joining their online Christmas fair boutique to give back to the school. And I decided that between October 1st and December 1st, I was going to launch a brand. And I'm made all the product or dyed uh, all the product, which is a very arduous and exhausting process. It's very lengthy. I created a website, which I'd never done before. I did all the photography, the editing. I wrote all the copy, which is very much still a working project process. Um, and I created the website and uploaded all the data. And, you know, I pulled a few all nighters college style and I did it. I launched in eight weeks and that's, that's, um, that's where I am right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm so impressed that you're able to sort of like whip up, you know, all those things um, in such a short span of time in eight weeks. It was a little uh, crazy. And, and uh, just to wrap it up here, you know, when we spoke in my interview this past week, you asked my final question. I'm going to ask you the same. How is it being now the leader of your own brand as opposed to right. some others? Right. Um, there's a couple of things that come to mind. The first thing is I still don't think it's a finished product. And I think that, um, pre COVID, I would never have done this because it's not perfect, but I learned through COVID and, and, and through conversations on the collab that you don't have to be perfect. It's better to just do it and be done with it than to not have done it at all. So I, I keep saying, I feel like I've gone to the party but I'm in my underwear. Like I'm not really fully dressed yet, but I'm there, you know, and I did it. And and that's an accomplishment. And yeah, I still feel like there's a lot of work to be done. There's still copy to be written. I, you know, I have an indigo vat going in the basement right now. I'm sitting in with stacks of linens around me that need to be dyed, but 
I did it. And I really feel happy that I have something productive to come out of COVID. And, and the other thing is, you know, it's a little scary being out there and putting yourself on the line and, and being public about it. But I will say it's really fulfilling. And, and um, the other thing that I find interesting is it's all me. There's no one here. Like I'm in the guest bedroom or I'm in the laundry room by myself. And, you know, I'm used to having these teams to count on and to brainstorm with. And in some ways it's really liberating. And in some ways I'm, I didn't let myself be self-conscious because I had such an incredible deadline. So I think that helped because if I take too much time, I start to get insecure or question myself and it's better to just stay focused and move forward. Um, but it is interesting to work, you know, solopreneur is, is really the right term. So, yeah, I think that's such great advice. Um, thank you so much. Learning about your background and hearing your extraordinary career. Thank this you. has been so great. Thank you so much. And and thank you for your support. You. And yeah. And thank you, Christy, for the fire. <laughs> yes, and best of luck, Darcy. We thank you. Next for Gilded Goods. Me too. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Collab Career Stories. Follow us on social media at Join the Collab and join us so you can tell your story.